You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Okay, well, welcome. We just wrapped up our series on the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. It took us like over a year, but we did it. We're done. It's over. Joel preached a great message last week, and this week we're jumping into a mini-series. I have a plan as to where I'm headed next in the Bible, but for right now, we're going to take a little trip on a mini-series. I just feel like this is something important to talk about. Uh, So this is called Social Justice Proper. Um, I think if you look around the world today, everybody is jumping on this social justice bandwagon. And while social justice is a great thing, I've also seen it get kind of perverted as to what the biblical understanding of this is. It's been hijacked, I would say, and taken in a lot of weird directions. So here's what I'm doing tonight. Tonight, I was like, I just want to tell people my story, my journey into the social justice world, uh, because if I'm going to have to critique it, I feel like I should at least maybe talk about why I feel like I should be able or allowed to do that. So I'm going to tell you kind of like my story and what I currently do in kind of that world to hopefully give legs to my ability to speak into that. Uh, So let me start here. Uh, I grew up. That's never a good place to start. Oh, my gosh, he's at the beginning. (laughs) I grew up in Three Oaks. If you don't know where that is, if you've ever seen the Christmas movie Prancer, hands up. Yeah, it was filmed in my town. All two of you saw my hometown. Cool. Uh, And then how many of you know where Warren Dunes is? Okay, more of you. About 10 minutes from there. So it's this tiny little village. You know, you could see the sign as you drove in. Welcome to Three Oaks. Thanks for coming. City, population, five people or whatever it was. You know, it's a very tiny little village uh, and then lots of country surrounding it. Now, when you grow up in an area like this, you're not super aware of the world. You're a little sheltered from everything that's going on out there. And, and things that you hear and are taught are based on opinions of people who have little understanding of other things going on in the world. So, like, for example, I guess what I mean in this case, like uh, homelessness. I was taught a lot about homelessness, or not a lot, just like, I was given a general understanding of homelessness from people who had no homeless people, right? It's this tiny little village. There's no homeless people there. And what I'm being taught about the homeless is, oh, they could just get a job if they wanted. They just don't want to. Oh, they could. uh, They're all maybe addicted to these things. Like these huge stereotypes that I was taught as like truth, not as like a stereotype, not as just like some have these problems. Like this is just the way things are. And since I didn't know any homeless, and since I didn't live around any homeless, I'm just like, okay, this is what people tell me. This must be the way that it is. Until one day, I went to Detroit with my friend JJ, one of my best friends. We go to Detroit for a Tigers game. If you know anything about me, you're already confused. Like, who was Jamin in his past life? Uh, I went to this Tigers game uh, to eat popcorn mostly. And while I'm there... Uh, on our way there, we come across this homeless man sitting on the corner of uh, the street, right? I'm like starting to embody everything I've been told. Like I've been told you shouldn't give anything to the homeless. You, you shouldn't uh, talk to them. You shouldn't uh, acknowledge them, things like that. So like this is what's all going through my mind from what the world has taught me. And as we approach him, 
He looks at my friend, sees my friend's Pringles, and he looks at him and says, Hey, man, you going to eat those Cheetos? Which they were Pringles. I wanted to correct him, but I didn't. And, and uh, my friend's like, No, nah, man, you, you can have them. Gave it to him. And I'm like, oh, You just gave that man some Pringles. You broke the rules. You're not, <laughs> not supposed to talk to the homeless or anything like that. Like, I know this sounds super immature, but this was the way Jamin grew up and what he was taught. And in that moment, I don't even remember this story. I don't know how when I was writing this message, I was like, Jamin, remember that Cheetos guy? I'm like, what? How do I remember that? But it came to my mind as like the moment that started to break down my walls and make me start thinking differently. Yeah, I look at my friend. I'm like, why did you just do that? You're not, not supposed to do that. He's like, the guy was hungry. He wanted food. I gave him food. And like in that moment, like. That's the most Jesus-y thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't know how I never considered that side of the story before. And suddenly I'm like, yeah, he was hungry. You did give him food. What, am I, what have I been taught? Why am I worrying about this? I remember going home like, I, didn't, I, did, I met someone who was homeless. And I lived. Like nothing weird happened. Like you all told me something weird was going to happen. <laughs> Everything's changing. I'm beginning to be like, okay, so I've been taught something wrong here. Me and my friend go to the same college, Spring Harbor University, and while we're there, we end up on the same trip to Chicago. And while we're walking around Chicago, we run into another homeless man. And throughout my life, you know, at this point, I hadn't met a lot of homeless still, even though my mind was now changing. Uh, we go to Chicago, and this guy comes up asking for money. My friend JJ is like, sorry, I'm not going to give you any money, but if you want to go into this building here, I'll buy you some dinner really quick. I'm like, wow, this guy... <laughs> He's just looking out. He's really caring about the people around him. I, I really need to pay attention to how he's doing this because he does this a lot better than me. I mean, he's a college student. He doesn't have any money, right? And yet here he is paying what little money he does have for a complete stranger to eat. And it was a complete stranger who honestly didn't even pay any attention to him. Like uh, when, we, when we left the building, we walked like one block and came back and the guy had already forgotten who he was trying to hit him up for more money (laughs) so like that's how little this guy really cared about him but he was still loving on him anyways on top of that like it takes some time like we only had one night in chicago and yet here my friend is taking strangers into restaurants to buy them food while we all wait outside like he's investing his time his energy and his money into complete strangers and this is starting to change again the way that i think eventually i end up in chicago myself for uh, a whole month for another class Chicago, probably my favorite city in the world. I just love it there. But while I'm there, like I spent as if I came across a homeless person, I did my best to push myself to get to know them a little bit. So sit with them, talk with them, get to know their name, uh, give them some money. I know everybody's got different feelings on that. I usually didn't care too much. Um, Part of the reason I didn't care if I was giving them money is because I always followed that with, can I pray for you? And so like they understood like, I'm giving you this because I love Jesus and I just want to pray for you right now. And they always say yes. As long as I was giving them money, they'd always say yes. Uh, and so, so I'd pray with them and I get to know them. And, and I've already shared a lot of those stories. You know, like I just felt pushed more and more to learn to be generous. And I shared a story a few weeks ago of the guy just sitting on the side of a building cold and just taking my coat off and offering it to him and him being like, yeah, man, that'd be great. You know, like. Like, okay, so this is the real Jesus-y stuff. This is what you actually see in the Bible. And then uh, moving on a little further, one of the memories I don't think I shared last time that just is plastered in my head. You know those memories you have that, like, there's nothing there? 
but it's also there at the same time. Like, I don't remember this girl. I remember the street corner a little bit. I don't remember her eyes, but I remember the pain in her eyes. Just like this, I don't think she said much of a word to me, but just like this total devastation about her. Sitting on the corner of this building, this young girl, and me coming up and like, no idea what's happened the night before, the week before, the year before, and just offering some money and then praying with her. Like, I knew following Chicago, and I think I even wrote it down in my journals, like, when I get home, I have got to remember these moments. Otherwise, it's all just going to go out the window and nothing's going to change. And so I got home and started pastoring here like that week <laughs> and uh, got married a few weeks after that. And life was all just setting in at one time. And then... Um, uh, along the way, we started trying to find ways to bring in social justice to what we do here at 1208, to remember in my life these stories that have changed the way that I live and walk and breathe. And, and some of the things that we try to do, we had uh, small groups. With these small groups, we're supposed to do mission projects every month. It ended up being kind of difficult to have that many projects so eventually we kind of switched around some other ideas. We, we tried quarterly projects where once every three months we'd all get together and, and do something. As many of you remember, because you were actually here for all that, that time, time ago. One of the things that we did uh, that never worked out great, but was fun anyways, we would cancel our fourth service and go over to the interface shelter and meet there for their service. But the difficulty was no one ever remembered what week that was. <laughs> And it was at a different time. So if you showed up here, there's a sign on the door that says, sorry, we are at Interfaith today. Also, that was like two hours ago and you missed it. Go home. So <laughs> that happened to a lot of people. And eventually we're like, okay, this is creating more disorder than order. So let's see if we can find some other avenues to go about this. Stephen Flavin, who was our associate pastor at the time, was always really motivating us to live lives of social justice in the everyday ways that if you go to the store and you buy something, know what kind of products or what kind of brands you're buying from because they can get interwoven with all these themes out there. Like chocolate can actually you know, be mined from slaves in other countries and then sold in our stores. So if you buy certain kinds of chocolate, you're easily feeding the brands that are using slavery to produce it. Likewise, those same brands make all kinds of stuff. So it's not just their chocolate. If you buy their kitty litter, even though their kitty litter may not have slavery connected to it, technically their business does. And this just started like getting all stuck in my head. I'm like, oh man, this is so much more complicated than I thought it'd be. <laughs> Social justice it just takes so much more to, to work out. And Stephen also started educating us about human trafficking, which is, you know, modern day slavery. Prostitution is maybe the easiest thing to look at. Throughout the years, we've always kind of considered prostitution just prostitution, people selling their bodies. But when you zoom out and you look at it, you realize these people aren't doing this willingly. They don't want to. They're being forced into it. They're being given appointments by other people and they're being trapped into it with drugs and all these other things and they can't get out. And so when you look at things like that, you're like, oh, man, this is just so deep. How do we fight it? How do we get involved? And so we started getting involved in coalitions that would would try to fight things like human trafficking and stuff like that. Along the way, I just started realizing how hard it is to fight for social justice. But along the way, I also kept finding Jesus compelling me to do so. You see it all throughout the Bible. and, And one of the things that really opened my eyes to it was the book Jesus for President by Shane Claiborne and Chris Haw, which 
You know, there's few books in your life that completely change everything about you. That one was one of them for me. It shifted all of my thinking and made so much more clear and forced me into thinking about my faith and about my life and what this means. So I thought with the title Jesus for President, I'm like, okay, that's the cheesiest Christian thing I've ever heard, right? (laughs) But then I opened the book and there was pictures on every page and I'm a child at heart. So I was like, okay, I'll buy it. So I get this book and... I start reading it and then I stopped and then like five years later I start reading and then I stopped and then like five years later I start reading and finished it and this time when I finished it like I started just to understand the gospel in a whole new light you know growing up I was always taught like heaven's just this place you go to when you die but what this book really did is no heaven is right now Jesus talked about heaven pretty much more than he talked about anything else. Which I always thought was weird. I'm like, if Jesus talked about, heavens, about heaven so much, why do we have no idea how it works or what it looks like and all these things? Like, how is it still just some, like, spacey spot in the heavens? Or what, what exactly is this? Angels shooting bows and all this stuff. Like, that's, Jesus talks so much, he forgot to give us all the details. But if you pay attention, that's not the case. Jesus was giving the details left and right. His point was, Heaven is the place that I'm from. It's my kingdom where I'm president, I'm king, I'm in charge. And if you follow me, you're one of my citizens in my kingdom. Now come with me. We're going to bring heaven to the earth right now. And I don't know how we missed that because Jesus taught us to pray that way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Literally, when you pray, part of your main prayer is, God, how do I take heaven where you have called me to be a citizen and bring it to earth? You are a Christian of heaven before you are an American citizen. First and foremost, you follow Jesus before you follow any other political figure whatsoever. Jesus is your king. If you consider yourself a part of the church. And so this started getting in my head. I was like, okay, so... If heaven is here right now already, and one day we'll be here more fully, then every step that I take needs to be associated with Jesus. It needs to be installing the kingdom of heaven here now, rather than just waiting for some kind of end times thing to happen and install it all itself. Jesus is calling me to make a difference right now in this spot. It's not just simple evangelism. It's going out and doing the things that Jesus did. So often we just pay attention to the beginning and the end of the Gospels, right? Even in the church, like we spend all this time preaching about how Jesus was born and we spend all this time preaching about how Jesus died for our sins. The Gospels are like 20 to 30 chapters, mostly of the in-between stuff. and was written four times by four different people because they thought they all had to re-say it again. Why? Why is all that there? That's there because the disciples believe that all the stuff in the middle actually matters to how we live ourselves, live our lives now. They believed that if we were going to live like Jesus did, we had to know some stuff about him. And so in a time when paper was crazy expensive, they tried to write out as much of their stories as they could about Jesus so that you would catch at least the general glimpse about who he is. We can't share all the stories, but here's some that we want you to know, church. We want you to know that in this situation, Jesus did this. In this situation, Jesus did this. Over here, he said this. Over here, he preached this. Learn this. Embody this. Because when you go out, he wants you to do the same thing. That's John 20, 21, right? 
Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In other words, Jesus is like, God sent me as a template of how you are to live. So look at what I do, copy it, and now I send you to go do the same stuff. What Jesus does in the middle of the Bible, in the middle of the, cru- in the, middle of the Gospels, is crucial. He spent his time around outcasts. That, to me, is social justice. He hung out with sinners. That, to me, is social justice. He shared meals with those you don't expect him to share meals with. He even told you that, hey, if you're going to have a feast, you're going to have a party, go out, invite all the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind to your feast. That right there, to me, is social justice. He said, when you take care of someone else's problem, you're actually taking care of him. So if you see someone outside who has nowhere to stay, Jesus is saying, like, pretend that I'm that guy. Are you going to give me somewhere to stay? If you do, then you took care of Jesus tonight. If you don't, then maybe you'd look the other way. Jesus is calling us to pay attention, to sell our stuff and give it to the poor, to to heal the sick. He's healing the sick everywhere. He was burned out from healing the sick. I see this more than I've ever seen this before. Have you realized like every story, Jesus is being crowded. He heals a person by accident once, right? Because they just touched him. It's like, who touched me? What do you mean who touched you? There's like 800 people here. Uh, Someone touched me and they got healed from it. Oh, it's that lady over there. Like Jesus at one point has to preach on a boat by the shore because he knows that if he gets off the boat, he's like never going to breathe again. Uh, At one point, Jesus' cousin dies and he's trying to get away from people and yet they keep hunting him down. Yet he has compassion to love them. His compassion drives him time and time again to love those that many would look the other way. Time and time again, he shows love. And he's exhausted from it. He's exhausted from all the social justice he's doing. So much so that he falls asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm. Look, I can hardly like stand on a boat, let alone sleep on one. <laughs> Especially if it's raining on my face and the waves are splashing in my face. And yet Jesus was that exhausted that the Bible tells us he was asleep on a boat. He recognized the way that religious authorities were robbing widows and he called it out. He, he lived a homeless life. And constantly warned people about riches. He helped people who never told him thank you. He told us to give to those who beg. He became poor so that you might be rich. And he took on the form, when he became human, he took on the form of a slave, of a lowly servant, washing the feet of his disciples. These all right here scream social justice. In fact, Jesus' mission statement, you might be surprised, you think like Jesus' mission statement is just, I am here to die on a cross. Yeah, that's part of it. But Jesus pulls out Isaiah 61, reads it to people, and kind of claims it as his mission statement. He pulls out Isaiah 61 and reads it to the church and says, this verse is about to be fulfilled in your hearing. I am, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is calling this to himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus's mission statement to the world sounds like a huge statement of social justice. I am here to take care of the poor, the oppressed, the blind, the sick, the lame. This is my mission statement. And the early church got this, and they lived that way. And I would love to read you one of my favorite quotes from Aristides, who reports to the king about how the Christians live. 
It's this really old, old report. But man, this guy just writes down the coolest things you've ever heard. Like this is how the Christians are living. If someone's starving, they just don't eat for two or three days and fast. And they give them their food instead. If they don't have any other food in the house. This is how they constantly lived. And and the list just goes on and on. I just don't have time to read the whole thing. So at this point in my life, this whole like pursuing social justice, letting Jesus get under my skin has started to change the ways in which I live. Uh, There's a continuum of care in Jackson. Their mission is to pretty much end homelessness in Jackson to make sure that everybody has housing. They came to me as a pastor and they said, Jamin, we don't have any any pastors on our board and when they come they like don't come back and we would love to have some representation in that area which first off startled me <laughs> that uh you know none of us are are getting involved in that but also that they wanted pastors to be involved in that so i was like okay yeah i'll join and i go to these meetings every month and i'll be honest with you i don't have half the idea of what we're saying half the time uh so many acronyms and legal things i <laughs> i struggle to follow it a lot of times But I go nonetheless, and when I do understand, I participate. Project Homeless Connect that we just hosted here, that was a project of the continuum of care, and they gave that to us. They trusted us with that to put it on for the last two years and to continue to put it on next year. They're excited that someone would actually want to put it on rather than being voluntold to put it on, right? Uh, Homeless Count. Many of you have gone out in January or December like five in the morning to go find unsheltered homeless and and count them. Why? Because if they can get those counts of people who are unsheltered on official forms, then different uh, people around town actually get governmental income to help them. But if they can't document them, then they can't get that kind of income. Yeah, you guys go out. Remember last year? It was the coldest day in like the last 10 years. Me and Mark Edwards walked across a street and almost died. Not because of the car, just like it was that cold. We just almost died. Like, just being outside, you die. Sad. It was cold. Uh, and then empowerment houses. That's something that we're working on. That Actually, the COC was super excited about this when I told them about it two months ago. Um, and they're excited to see what we do. And other organizations there were like, we'd like to talk to you more about that. But, like, it's in its infancy stage. All we really know here at 1208 is, like, We've met people who need housing, and we haven't been able to give that to them. So what if we could buy houses around Jackson and then create kind of a contract of sorts that we give you incredibly discounted um, rates to live here so long as you are competing or finishing your side of the contract, which is following up with the ways in which we think you need to be empowered. So maybe you don't have a job and you can't find a job. We'll provide one for you in some way, things like that. Uh, and your housing will be uh, set at a rate that makes sense with your income because we're not in this for the money. We told the city about this, and the city of Jackson, one of their leaders was just like, man, we wish every church or nonprofit would do this. That would be, that would be awesome. Like, we don't have a lot of feet to that yet, but the reason we're working on it is because we believe that Jesus cares about these kinds of things. I joined Drug Free Jackson as well. It's another coalition in town for the same reason as Continuum of Care. They're like, we don't have any pastors. We'd love to have some pastors. Like, well, I care about people getting off drugs, so I'll join that. Strangely enough, I became the chair of that like two months ago. Uh, You know, a pastor trying to get people off drugs, it seems like the last person you put in charge of that because of the way that 
we can look so vicious, but for some reason they were okay with offering me that. And so I stepped into those shoes. And out of Drug Free Jackson, I've helped become a founding member of something called Jackson Harm Reduction, which I understand is controversial, but essentially its point is we know that addiction is not simple and we want you to be safe while you're addicted while we hope that as we get to know you, you will eventually come to recovery. That's the general synopsis behind it. And I figure that as a Christian, it's better to be a part of helping that thing start rather than just let it go any other way that, that it would go. Uh, light up the city. You guys here, we went to a city council meeting and people were talking about how it's really dark outside and unsafe. And they wanted new streetlights. But you can't just like buy new streetlights overnight. That's way too expensive. So we went out and bought a bunch of light bulbs. You remember this? And then we went door to door in our community and just said, here's a light bulb. Put it in your porch, turn it on. It's like 8 million watts. It'll light up your neighborhood. It wasn't that bright, but you know. Uh, so they started doing that. And then a few weeks later, the uh, city of Jackson asked uh, me to co-chair that same effort, but on a citywide um, a citywide aspect uh, called Light Up the City, and it's getting ready for its third year right now. You guys are partially responsible for things like that. And then you guys shifting into dinner church when it would be so much easier to just go to church, listen to some music, listen to a message, and stay at the time of day that you've always planned on. Instead, you went from an hour and a half service to two and a half to three hour service where you had to do more work. And as far as my numbers go, I think only one person wasn't game for it. I mean, that right there, that just is the most amazing church testimony I think I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's just amazing what you guys have done to say we believe that Jesus cares about these things. And look, I know the stories I just shared, unfortunately, they're just like a lot about me. And I just invite you to come talk to me after so I can tell you some horror stories so I don't look so good. Um, but I share these because next week, as much as I love social justice, I have some incredible concerns with it right now. I really feel like it's getting hijacked almost by another spiritual entity. And it's not looking like Jesus in many different ways. And it's been wearing me down more and more, especially since January of this year when I really started feeling this impression. So next week, I want to offer some criticism and try to help us see more clearly what social justice with Jesus looks like. And I hope that in preaching this message and in sharing my story, that it gives me a little bit more credibility to be able to critique it. So that's why I start with my story. So I'm leaving you on a cliffhanger there. Next week, we're going to go a little deeper as to uh, what it looks like today and how it should look, look, look like if we were walking with Jesus in it. Um, for now, the band's going to come up. We're going to sing a little bit. Uh, we also have an amazing testimony. I'm going to have Marie share in just a moment. Uh, but before she does that, we're going to sing Isaiah 61. So Jesus says, like, these are the reasons I'm here. I've come to uh, help the poor and the captive and the oppressed. We're going to sing a song about that first. And I invite you to stay seated during this song and just kind of meditate and soak in that scripture while we do it. As a... Jamin chose to focus on that. Um, I have it from the, the um, Gospel of Luke when Jesus stood up and, and preached that and was handed the scroll. It's one of my favorite verses there from Isaiah. And that it starts with him saying that the Spirit of the Lord 
is upon me. And I recently told Jamin that with all that's been going on in my family, without 1208 and without Jamin's teaching, I don't know where we would be because I, I've never been close or seeking or touched by the Holy Spirit ever in my life as I have been since being here at 1208. And so I think most of you know my husband Brian in the early part of June was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And, um, you know, we both had just a little bit of medical knowledge enough that that diagnosis terrified us because he's about five and a half months post-diagnosis. And by six months, the statistics show that half of the people with stage four pancreatic cancer are dead. And so when we got that diagnosis, we didn't think he would be alive at this point. And so we're very grateful, obviously, that he is. But I want to take a moment and kind of go through what we've been through. So it was on June the 7th that he was diagnosed. And on Sunday the 9th, we shared with the, the church here, and your prayers have meant the world to us. But on that Sunday, I don't think I told a lot of people, our son contacted us, and he lives in Scotland. And we had told him and his wife the day before of the diagnosis, and he said he was working the soundboard at church that day, and somebody came up to him and said, do you know anybody named Brian? Because I've been told I need to pray for him. So halfway around the world, the Holy Spirit was already working on behalf of my husband. And it wasn't until July the 15th that he actually got his first treatment. There was a whole lot of things that went on um, in that month and a half. And uh, one of the things that the doctor follows is a blood antigen thing called CA19. And I guess the higher it is, the more active your tumors are. And a normal person, our level should be 40 or lower. And so on that first day of treatment, when they drew his blood, his level of that was 15,666. And that's kind of a bad omen number. Uh, I know 666 says it's... Um, mentioned in the Bible that just always kind of scares us. But uh, before he received treatment, he had been talking to a gentleman he met on a bike trip years ago, and he was starting to tell Brian different things he did during his cancer that might help him um, survive, especially the chemo, a little bit better. So Brian began doing that. And, uh, you know, a week later, his blood level was still at 15,000, and then we had the healing service here. And that was July the 28th, and up until that point, Brian's pain had been increasing, and, and you know, higher and higher doses of different painkillers were just barely cutting the edge of it. And a number of people came and prayed over Brian, and at one point he got up to leave and he, he couldn't walk. His leg wasn't working, and Jamin came over and was praying from, for him, and he told me later that night that he just felt something changed. And so when we went to the doctor for another treatment the next day, and they drew his blood, his blood level went from 15,000 to 4,200. And we were thrilled, and his pain stopped, and that pain's never come back. Last week when they drew his blood, the level was at 140. And so that's really come down, and we're really grateful for that. But... Uh, in September, the doctor had us go for genetic testing because his tumor showed some mutations on it that they wanted to find out if it was actually a genetic mutation or just a freak accident. 
And it turned out to be a genetic mutation. So basically, Brian carries some gene defects that makes him vulnerable or more susceptible to getting cancer. And that was kind of a blessing and a curse because the doctor said, well, with that, you have the options of further therapies um, should the chemo not really do the job. But the downside is my kids can have inherited that from them. So now they're all beginning to undergo the process of being tested because it will put them at great risk of cancer in their lives. Um, but we were, we were kind of uh, thrilled that we had another option. Um, friends told us about a homeopathic doctor to go to, and Brian went there, and he's been trying to do some things to boost Brian's uh, body to sort of attack the cancer. And uh, we had a CAT scan done on October 17th, and when we went, on the 21st to the doctor, he said that there was significant decrease in his tumors, and when we looked at it, his tumor on his liver is down 70%, 70% reduced, and the one on his pancreas is reduced 50%. And the doctor said at that visit, oh yeah, and your tumor has these other markers, that means you can get immunotherapy. And I said, well, you've never mentioned it. And I said, I didn't think pancreatic cancer, that really was an option. And he said, no, fewer than 3% of tumors will present these markers. And at that moment, I nearly fell on the floor, thanking God, because I don't know, Sean, if you can put up uh, on, on the board. Um, before we, he was diagnosed on the, the 6th of June and on the 10th, I wrote in my diary that in the middle of the night I was woken up with the words, the key is immunotherapy. And I claimed that in the name of Jesus, that that would be so. And, and now that I'm looking back, I'm seeing that his friend was pointing us in that direction. Uh, friends were pointing us to the right doctor and for finally the medical doctor to say, you qualify for immunotherapy, which is basically a pill that he would have to take. I knew for sure that that had come from the Holy Spirit because it was brought to me so loud and so clearly and at a time when I didn't even know what that meant and as I was doing research saw no indication that that was ever going to come true for Brian and the type of cancer he has. But I kept praying to God that, you know, if it's your word, I'm just trusting it um, and you will reveal it to him. And so I know for sure that that was a supernatural gift from the Holy Spirit. And in, in 1 Corinthians, and Jamin is the one that brought this to my attention, they list the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. And it says that they're given for the common good. And so we were hesitant to share this evening very much. Uh, didn't know what it would mean to people, but I said to Brian, you know, we need as a, as a church family to let each other know what's happening and that the power of the Holy Spirit is not just some uh, possibility or some afterthought, but that it is strong. But you know, Jesus, when you read the gospel and you see that he did what he did, he did his miracles, he did his healings, he did his ministry, his conception were all by the Spirit, and that's the same Spirit that is available to each and every one of us. And, you know, on, on Pentecost Sunday, uh, just slightly more than a hundred people gathered in a room, 
and the Spirit came upon him and the world was changed. And I know sometimes we look really small here at 1208 and uh, we wonder how much more we can stretch ourselves or are we doing a whole lot and, and I just have to share that. You know, when I got this confirmation from so many different sources that this was from the Spirit, it changed it just changed me in a way that's so hard to describe that I just felt the flood of God's love upon me that fear was gone I started telling everybody look this is what the doctor said and look what I wrote in my journal and I told my family and they're not believers and I told people at work and they're not believers and a lot of them were like oh okay you know whatever but I planted the seed because it's for God's glory all of this is for God's glory and I pray often to the Spirit that He would guide me and equip me and empower me and give me visions and a purpose for His people and for His work. And when Jamin mentioned the Reveal conference coming up, Brian and I were the first two to sign up and you know, I said to him, that's in March, I don't know if you're going to be alive in March, but I'm going to trust that you are going to be and we're going to sign up for it, we're going to go for it because to us now, there is nothing more important than not only our relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son, but especially with God's Holy Spirit because He is what lives in us. He wants to bestow so many gifts upon us in 1208. If we would pursue those and seek those and open ourselves up for them, it would not only change our lives, but it'll change this community in a way that we can't even imagine. And so I look forward to March to seeing all of you there with Brian and I, and that we will have many, many more tales to tell you of what the Spirit has done through us. And I just thank you. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for listening to me. God bless you.